let's be honest, you learned or you know more about our founding fathers from Hamilton the musical than you do from school. Am I right? It's all right. We've all been there. Uh, You may have learned some things in that musical. I don't know. It's on Disney Plus. I'm not here to be their ad. But anyways, um, you learned some things about our founding fathers. You probably learned stuff about them when you were growing up. Maybe when you were in elementary school, you learned their names and the first presidents and all of that. And yet, when you revisit some of those facts, you, you relearn, and you learn what you maybe never knew. For instance, you know that our founding fathers are authors, right? You know that they, that they wrote the Declaration of Independence, they wrote the Constitution, they wrote a lot of other things, and so they're authors. But what you may not have realized is that one of them also wrote the Bible. So Thomas Jefferson uh, sat down and he decided, I'm going to make my own version of the Bible, and he was a, a child of the Enlightenment. He was very logical. He was very um, reason-oriented, but he was also faithful. And so he said, you know, somehow I've got to make these two things mesh. I've got to be able to be reasonable, logical, and a person of faith. And so he said, I've got to figure out how to make the Bible and my worldview mesh. And so what he did was he changed the Bible instead of change his worldview. No one's been there before. Uh, so what, what, what Thomas Jefferson decided to do, that if it didn't make sense to him, he was going to remove it from the Bible. So anything supernatural, he took right out of the Bible. So that, that's all of your miracles. They're all just gone. There's no feeding of the 5,000 in Thomas Jefferson's Bible. And more than that, he said, you know what? The resurrection doesn't really make sense either. So that's just right out of his Bible as well. So his, his version of the New Testament and yours don't look exactly the same. But if we're being honest, we like to remove some things from the Bible, don't we? I mean, don't you ever sometimes go to Scripture and go, oh, I just wish that that wasn't in there. There's even times that we live like there's things that we've read, like they're not even there. We live in such a way that like we've removed it straight from our Bible. And today I want to go over a passage out of the book of Matthew that when I made my top 10 list, and yes, this list exists, this passage is on the the passages that I would like to remove from the Bible. And we'll talk about that in a minute. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn over to Matthew chapter 20. My name is Cale. I'm so glad that you're here today to worship with us at Crosspoint. I hope you feel very welcomed, especially if you're one of our guests today. You are right at home with this family. And as Steve said, you come just as you are. Um, everyone is welcome here because we're all here because of the grace of God. And so we're so glad that you're here to worship with us today. Uh, we've been talking about the kingdom um, all year long, that's been our theme, your kingdom come. And so we've been doing a series on parables when Jesus specifically says the kingdom of heaven is like, and he's, he's giving us a glimpse into what his kingdom is like. And often it doesn't look anything like our worldly kingdom, does it? You know, he, we started and we talked about how it's, it's like a mustard seed. It's small. It's easy to overlook. It's common. It's ordinary. And yet, when it grows, it becomes the largest plant in all of the garden. And, and so, too, that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. It looks small. It looks uh, like it's unimportant. And yet, it sprouts out of seemingly nowhere to be the largest movement the world's ever seen. And you are, you are also kind of like that seed, that the world may call you common, ordinary. The world may see no use for you. Uh, you may not be um, at the top According to the world, and God says, I, through my, the power of my Holy Spirit, I will make you grow. You will be like that seed. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. And we also talked about, like, it's the kind of place where you get forgiveness. We all get a clean slate in the kingdom. 
And the story was there was a man who owed a great deal to the king, and the king forgave it, and that man went out and did not forgive a smaller sum. But the message from Jesus is that if we're going to be kingdom people, we have to be forgiving people. We all, just as Paul just said, we all have hurt people, we all have been hurt by people. So the kingdom is a place of forgiveness. But more than anything, the kingdom is not necessarily a place, but it is a people. And you are called to be those kingdom people. And so today you have an opportunity to do that. We have a family here at Crosspoint that needs help moving this afternoon. So I promise this wasn't just built up to this. But, <laughs> but you know, it's all about putting the words that we say, the words we confess, and putting them into flesh. It's about doing what we say we're going to do, being the kind of church that shows up for other people. And so with a lot of kingdom people, it will make uh, short work. And so if you have time to spare this afternoon, or if you can sacrifice something else, we would love to have your help. You can see me or Steve right after service, and we will tell you where and when to be there. So as I said, uh, we're going to talk more about the kingdom today. So I hope you have your Bible. It's in, found in Matthew chapter 20. And what I want to do is I want to read this parable straight through, because I think Though there's lots of things to point out, I think you'll feel the power of Jesus' parable by reading it in one sitting. Okay, so we're going to read it. All the text will be on the screen, but this is what Jesus says, starting in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them in his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one hired us, they answered. He told them, you also go call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when, those, so when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of work and the heat of the day. But he answered them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So, Jesus finishes, the last will be first and the first will be last. Do you see why I would like to cut this right out of the Bible? Does it just, you know where they're coming from, right? I mean, you totally understand where they're coming from. To put some numbers on it, these first were probably hired around 6 a.m. They probably quit work at about 6 p.m. 12 hours. Maybe they got an hour lunch. I don't know. But 12 hours, they're working in the heat of the day. And it's hard labor. Yes, it's what they signed up for. But you can understand where they're coming from, aren't, can't you? And again, just as Paul just said, man, siblings have a lot to do with this. Because if you have a sibling or if you have kids, you've heard exactly what these guys want to say. That's not fair. That's not fair. I mean, if you have kids, you know how important equality is, right? And, and my kids, sometimes we give out candy, but they're always doing the math, right? Like, well, I know it's different, but that one looks a little bigger. It's so important to keep things fair. And that's why this 
parable resonates so much in us. This is why Jesus told the parable. But maybe your mom, just like my mom, taught you the same lesson. Life's not fair. And we hate that, don't we? It's like the least favorite thing your mom ever said to you. Life's not fair. You know, I'm the oldest of uh, three brothers. And so there were some things that I got that my brothers didn't get as, because I was the oldest. For instance, I've never wore a hand-me-down one day in my life. Just never been part of it. Uh, I'm, I'm the oldest. So there were times in my life that we went to the store and I got to go shopping for clothes and my brothers didn't because their clothes were waiting at home in my closet. But you know what? It also kind of works the opposite. There was a time when I was about 10 years old that I uh, formulated a plan. I thought through my talking points. I even thought about making a PowerPoint presentation. I wanted to ask my parents something and I was ready. So I went to them, 10 years old, and I said, you know, I really think I deserve a later bedtime. And I've been responsible. I wake up on time. I do what you ask. And so I think 30 more minutes, maybe an hour longer would be fair. And my parents considered it. Uh, They looked over the handouts I made and they said, you know what? I think you do deserve it. And I was excited. I had a later bedtime, finally. And so, you know, as, as the time went on, though, as the weeks went on, I started noticing. Not only did I get a new bedtime, but so did my little brother's. And, and what, what was given to me was given to them as well. You know, they were about eight and five at the time. And I remember being like, this is not fair. I had to wait till I was 10 to get this bedtime. And now here they are getting it at five years old. Well, Kale, life's not fair. That's just the way that it is. This is a difficult teaching that Jesus gives. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like, and it's going to turn maybe your view of what the kingdom of heaven should be like. It doesn't make sense to us with our human eyes and human ears when we hear this story. Jesus is really witty. He tells this story and he crafts it in a way that can't help but get under your skin. You know, he asks this question in it. Why have you guys been standing around here all day long doing nothing? Uh, Obviously, nobody hired us, which I think they wanted to add, including you. You've been here three or four times today. You never hired us. We're here for work. As Mac reminded us last week, Jesus is smart. Well, Jesus teaches this parable in a way that speaks to us. He's smart because he ends this parable with a shock in a way that can't help but cause you to think about your own life and how you think. The question is, I think when we start this parable though, is to ask, why does he tell this parable? What prompts him to say this? And it's really important to be able to look back at the story right before. So in Matthew chapter 19, there's a story of the rich young ruler. And it's important to get that Matthew gives us both of those details because it's not just that he's rich or that he's young, it's that he's rich and he's young. And see, in that day and age, there's only one way you could be rich and young, and it's if your parents were rich. And then this rich young guy comes up to him and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's, it's interesting that he uses the word inherit because he has inherited his wealth. And Jesus says, keep all the laws, all the laws from, from the prophets, and you can, do, you can live when you do that. And so the rich young ruler says, I did all of that. What more do I lack? And Jesus says, okay, sell all you have, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. And the man walks away. He's rich. The only thing he's ever known in his life is riches. And so he is not willing to give that up to follow Jesus. But what Jesus says is that nothing comes before faith in me. And at the end of this exchange, Peter comes to Jesus and he says, what about us? Because see, Jesus, we were early adopters. 
We were the first ones to follow you. We've been, been through the things that, only, that no one else has been through. They are going to suffer in ways that most other followers of Jesus will not suffer. So Peter asks a logical question, what about us? Don't we get more than the rest of these? We left everything to follow you. And in response, Jesus tells this story. Don't we get more? Isn't there something more for us? And Jesus says, let me tell you a story about what the kingdom of heaven is like. So the first observation we make about the kingdom is that there's work to do. There's work to do. Many people who probably first heard this parable had worked in a vineyard before or something like it. They understood what it was like. And we know from the crowds that followed Jesus, many of them were probably day laborers. They knew what this story was like. I don't know if you've worked in your yard before, but I remember when we bought our first house, I was like, we are going to have the nicest lawn on the street. Yard of the month, that's coming to us. And so I went to Home Depot and I started learning some things. And I've never won yard of the month, okay? <laughs> never. I tried hard and I struggled to even have green grass. And so I finally have turned it over to somebody else to manage. And guess what? It goes a lot better than it used to. But these people understood the story of the vineyard. They understood that not, it's not every day that you hire someone at six, at nine, at noon, at three, and at five. Because sometimes in the vineyard, you couldn't have picked the grapes the day before, and, and tomorrow they're going to be spoiled. But today, today is the day to bring in the harvest. So I think one of the things that Jesus wants us to see in this is that the harvest is ripe. The harvest is ready. There's work for us all to do. We're all being called to something, and it's to the same task, to bring in the harvest. And for us as Christ followers, it's that we want more people to know the name of Jesus, that the fields are ripe and it's for us to bring them in. Shouldn't we be grateful for extra help? This is God's vineyard after all. He calls us to this work. There's something else that in this story though that I think the first listeners would understand that we may not understand. You know, we don't typically, we don't have a place anymore that people typically gather for to work for the day. Yes, they do still exist in the world and even in our city. It's just not as common. But people standing there at 5 p.m., there's something about them that we might overlook. You know, it's kind of like when you were in PE or when you were out on the ball field choosing teams, right? Who was the first that was chosen? The tallest, the biggest, the strongest. And this would have been the exact same way. If you need someone to come work on your farm or on your vineyard for the day, who are you going to choose? The young guy, the strong, the one who's capable. So that means who is sitting out there at 5 p.m.? the kind of person that has been looked over all day. But there's work to do. And Jesus says, I'll take anybody. Everybody's welcome here because there is work to do. The fields are ripe for the harvest. The second thing that we observe in this parable is that this is all about a day's wage. Again, Peter asks the question, what's in it for us? We left you before anybody else, so we deserve more, don't we? What is in it for us? And Jesus tells him this parable, I think, as a way to keep him and the rest of us humble. Because see, what we learn is that everyone gets the same reward. There isn't a, a special few, there isn't an extra deserving person, but we all get the same reward. And what Jesus wants his followers to know, and that includes us, is that in God's kingdom, equality reigns because our God is a gracious God that none of us deserved it. See, the parable works because what we learn about God's economy and the kingdom is that we all receive the same reward. In Jesus' day and age, and I think sometimes we think this too, is that 
when it's going better for some people, whether economically or um, just things going better in their life, maybe even their health, we start to think they're probably better than we are. That God has shined upon them because they are more righteous than we are. And it's natural for for Jesus' first listeners to think this. Because in the Old Testament, for instance, he said, when you follow me, Israel, things will go better. And if you've ever read, for instance, the book of Judges, when they turn from God, things go very poorly. So if you are a rich young ruler, for instance, that family must be pretty righteous because God has shined upon them. Things are going well. And Jesus is turning that thinking upside down. It's not about whether you, uh, in God's kingdom, it's not about whether you're righteous or unrighteous. It's whether or not you accept the invitation. Whether you accept his invitation to come work. That's how God's economy works. Whoever follows Jesus receives the same reward because in the end, God is gracious. We don't earn God's grace, but he gives it freely. This is who our God is. He gives it freely, especially to those who know that they don't deserve it. They couldn't earn it. I love how Max Licato says it. Grace is God's best idea. His decision to ravage a people by love, to rescue passionately, and to restore justly. What rivals it? Nothing. Nothing can match this idea from God. And one of the things that you see here is when you talk about, if you're one of those first hour workers, you read the story of the parable. If you are that person, you go, where is God's justice? Where is the fairness here? Because it's not fair if you worked all day. What you see from God is that how he doles out his payment, how he doles out his love is just. This is God's justice. Because he doesn't give you what you deserve. He gives you what you need. We're taught by God to pray Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer, Father, give us today our daily bread. There were people that stood out there every day knowing that they, if they didn't work that day, there would, no, there would not be daily bread. They're standing out there, and imagine if that's you. You're standing there at 5 p.m. knowing you're going to have to go home saying, there will not be food tomorrow because I couldn't get work today. In God's kingdom, all are given exactly what they need. This is justice. It's not based on whether you deserve it, whether you worked hard for it, whether you worked all day for it. It's based on what you need. And God says there's enough for everyone. This is God's justice. And the last thing that we observe in this parable is that the landowner makes them watch. He makes them watch. Imagine if this parable read instead that at the end of the day, pay them in order of when they got here. And so the guys that got there at 6 a.m., they would go through the line, take their denarius, and then they would walk out the door. And they, would, they wouldn't have known any of this. And sure, we might still read that the landowner gave them all, but there wouldn't be the grumbling at the end. And that's the punch in the story. That's Jesus's twist. That's the thing that, that shines a light on our heart because we can resonate with how they feel. And so these first workers, imagine them, they're waiting in line and they're seeing what these people are getting paid. They're like, well, I worked 11 hours longer than they did. So if they're anything like me, they're doing the math. They got one day's wage. I should get 12 days wages, right? That's fair. And so the landowner, our God in this situation, makes you watch. This is the humbling. He makes them watch. And that's where the parable gets its power. See, this shouldn't surprise us because... The way that God wants to conduct his business is his business. And thanks be to God that he chooses to conduct it with grace and with mercy rather than how you and I might choose to operate it. What we see here is that not everyone will celebrate God's justice. Some will 
groan and complain. And Jesus anticipated this. He anticipated that some would be envious about the generosity that they see from God. And to them, justice means getting what you deserve. But God's justice doesn't work like that in the kingdom. In fact, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God doesn't give us what he deserves, what we deserve. But to those who think we're first, it sounds like bad news. And so for us today, we have to ask ourselves the question, who are we in this story? Jesus forces us to listen to this parable and consider how we think of other people in this. Do we think about our own performance and cast judgment on other people? Or as kingdom people, do we celebrate when God gives generously to all people? See, the root problem for those who might think of themselves as the first is that we, we have this enviousness and we don't celebrate God's goodness. This is what God means by, by his grace. See, you might also call it God's unmerited favor. Because, see, you didn't earn it. And you definitely don't deserve it. And yet he treats all the same. So you might be a grumbler today. You might be one of those people that thinks, I was here first. I've worked harder. I've worked longer than anybody else. I deserve more. And God, I think, in this parable tells us, nobody deserved this invitation. But because I'm a gracious God, I accept, I invited everyone to this. Of course, you might be like that five o'clock worker today thinking, you know what? I'm not good enough. I can't believe that I'm here. I'm definitely not strong enough. I have a past that you wouldn't believe. I don't deserve to be here. And it's when you know that we're all that person that you truly rejoice in God's grace. See, none of us, again, deserved to be here. So the question I'd like you to ask yourself today, if, if this parable challenges you, if it frustrates you, if it angers you, if you wanted to cut it out of your Bible, just like I wanted to cut it out of mine, stop yourself and, and ask, why do you feel that way? What makes you think that you deserve more? What makes you think and look down on somebody else thinking that they deserve less than you deserve? Why do we feel this way? And how can we become people who rejoice in who our God is? So you've heard about Thomas Jefferson's Bible, but I want to tell you about one more today. It came out around the same time, early 1800s in England. They developed this Bible and they called it the Slave Bible. And they wanted to develop a Bible that they could send out to all their colonies to educate and teach all of their slaves in their colonies. But, you know, they, they started reading the Bible and they realized they couldn't just give them uh, the same Bible that they had. There's too much about freedom and equality in the Bible. There's too much good news for the slave in the Bible. For instance, the story that Israel is based off of is the Exodus story. It's the story of God's people held in bondage, crying out to God and God rescuing them. Well, we can't exactly give that story to, to slaves in the colonies. And so this is what happened. So they said, you know what, we're going to trim the Bible down. And so what the Bible that they gave them holds only about 10% of your Old Testament and only half of your New Testament. Imagine, you might today be like Thomas Jefferson, wishing you could cut things out of the Bible, or you could have been like someone who didn't even ever know. But church, we don't sit in either one of those seats because you know You've heard the good news of Jesus Christ. You've seen it. You've seen how he, what he says about the kingdom. And so you can't walk out being unchanged. You have to read, you hear this. And Jesus asked, do you have ears to hear and eyes to see? This is what it means to be a kingdom person. You don't deserve it. 
You didn't earn it. So that should lead you to a humility and to a joyful thanksgiving every day. Because see, what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross, he did it while you were still a sinner. And as Mac taught us last week, all have fallen short of the glory of God. So we cannot be those first hour workers. We want to be thankful like those 5 p.m. workers, or better yet, we need to be like the landowner, willingly giving all that we have to everybody else. This is what it means to embrace the kingdom of God, to be a kingdom person. And so today, church, as we close, we, we know that this takes time and it takes work. We want to be a kingdom person, and it doesn't happen overnight. That's why we have a church family that walks with us. Because so you, you might be just like me, who for most of your life has been that first hour worker, wondering why is God not fair? Thanks be to God that he's not. Thanks be to God that he is gracious and generous to us all. We're all welcome at the table. We're all welcome in the family. We're all welcome in the kingdom. The question today is, will you accept his invitation to work? Will you accept his invitation to his vineyard? And that's the question this morning while we stand and sing.